Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Our study through the book of 1 Peter brings us this morning to chapter 2, verse 13. Our text today will be uh, verses 13 through 17. If you're using the Black Bibles, that passage can be found on page 1015. So 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17 this morning. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11, again, just to give us the context that, that uh, flows into our passage this morning. I'd ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of God's word. Let's hear the word of the Lord together, 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Last week we came to a transition in Peter's letter to the scattered believers in Asia Minor where he exhorted them to abstain from their remaining sinful desires and live godly lives among unbelievers. Like Jesus had said before Peter, (laughs) Christians are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Their lives, our lives as followers of Christ are to shine out to display the beauty of Christ and to bring glory to his name. Don't you long to do that, Christian? Don't you want your life to bring glory to God? I mean, what a joy it is to have that as our, as our purpose in life. No matter our age, God has us here. He has our hearts beating. He has um, oxygen flowing through our lungs for a purpose. To know him and to enjoy him and to bring glory to him. We long for Christ to be magnified through our daily conduct as we considered last week. Well, in our text today, the Apostle Peter tells us a very practical way we can glorify God through our lives, right? Because that sounds good, like, oh, I want to bring glory to God in my life, and and we can mean that, but then it's like, well, what does that look like? What does that look like in the day-to-day, in the the Monday through Friday, so to speak? Well, we're going to see a very practical way. That we can bring glory to God in our lives. And that is by honoring and obeying our governing leaders. As we, by God's grace, as we honor and obey our governing leaders, we will bring glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
The verb be subject there is a military expression which literally means to arrange in formation under the commander. It carries the idea of placing yourself under the authority of another. Peter is saying that we are to obey the governing authorities over us. So again, understand the flow of Peter's argument from last week into this text. Remember last week we talked about living distinct lives and bringing glory to God. And so he's saying now we will live distinct lives. We will bring glory to God by honoring and obeying our civil authorities. And so this morning I want to work through verses 13 through 17 under four headings. Four headings that are centered around this command to be subject to the governing authorities. You'll see heading number one in your notes there, the extent of submission. Because as I say that, be subject to the governing authorities, you might be thinking, okay, fine, I'll obey the governing leaders so long as they're not corrupt. (laughs) So long as they're not incompetent, I'll honor them, right? But wait, notice what God's word says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So it's very clear, isn't it? Christians are to submit to every human institution, whether it's the top dog, so to speak, here, the emperor, or whether it's the local governors that the emperor has put in place. Christians are called to submit to all their civil leaders. The command here is clear and it's comprehensive. There are no exceptions. It doesn't matter if the governing authorities are good or bad. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you agree with them or not. Or it doesn't matter if they're the leaders that you voted for or not, right? You know, not my president, right? People say, no. You are called to be subject to them. And let us keep in mind the context here. Peter is writing to believers who are under the Roman Empire. (laughs) Nero, maybe you've heard of him, right, was the emperor. A wicked man. And, and the scattered believers were starting to experience some of the persecution which would get worse under Nero's reign. And yet he's calling them to honor the emperor, is the way the passage ends, and to submit to the authorities. We are called to be subject to our governing authorities, not because they deserve it in and of themselves in their character or, or competency, but notice it says, for the Lord's sake, verse 13. We are to submit to these governing authorities because they have been placed in authority by who? By God. By Almighty God, our God. Romans 13, I'm going to read a few verses throughout the sermon from Romans 13. It's an important parallel passage that you might want to look at further on your own. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities... For there is no authority except from God. No authority except from God, it says. The verse continues. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. It's so clear. God is sovereign over all. And so God sovereignly puts kings in power and sovereignly removes them. God sovereignly works through elections to appoint the leaders that he wants in office for his purposes. No authority exists except from God, Romans 13, 1 says. So that, I don't know how you feel about that, but that is so freeing to me, right? 
Praise God for his sovereignty. Right? We have the confidence that every leader over us, no matter how wicked, no matter how much we disagree with them, they've been placed there by God for a reason. They've been there, placed there by God to accomplish his purposes, ultimately. So back to our text here in 1 Peter 2.13, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That word that's translated human, or institution, excuse me, that word institution there is literally creature. And, and institution is a good translation. I understand why they did that. But Peter is making an important point here about the nature of authority. Because in his day, the Roman emperor was an object of worship by the society, right? The, the emperors exalted themselves as if they were some form of God. But Peter teaches the believers that their Roman rulers are merely creatures. <laughs> they are created by God, just like we are. What a, what a helpful reminder, right? That's pointing to this truth that human authorities are under God's lordship. And again, I, you know, I was thinking about that. Well, what about today? Do we fall into that same um, deceit, that same wrong thinking? And we see it in our society, right? In our age, people can be guilty of a, t a type of leader worship. I even hear it on the news. People talk about so-and-so. It's like they're, they're the Messiah or something, right? We, people can be guilty of a type of leader worship by thinking that a particular leader or maybe a particular party, they're the answer to all of society's problems, Man, if we can just get them elected, if we can just take back this house or this chamber or whatever, then, man, now the world will be right. Now the world will be put back in order. And again, we want to try to vote for and elect godly people and, and people that have wisdom, and certainly we'd love it to be people that fear the Lord. But we've got to remember not to uh, misplace our hope haven't we seen that through our study of 1 Peter? Where should our hope be? Our hope is in the Lord, right? He is our hope. So our civil leaders are mere human creatures like us. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, literally creature. That's a helpful reminder for us as well when it comes to the application of we are to honor them, Right? These are human beings. These are creatures. And as humans, they are made in God's image. So we should submit to them, as the scripture says. We should honor them, but not worship them. And of course, the other side of the ditch that people can fall into when we think of our human leaders, right? On one side is, is like, oh, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, gonna, they're the savior. They're going to fix everything, right? But the other side of the ditch is, is we speak of a mere human leader as some evil power, as almost as if it, they rival God in some way. You know, like, man, if, if he or she is elected, God's going to be wringing his hands, you know, fretting about what to do next. Obviously, that's wrong, isn't it? God is sovereign. He, he is Lord of all. I love reading in the Old Testament uh, places like, especially Isaiah is what I think of when he's talking about his dealings with Cyrus or earlier in Exodus when he's talking about his dealings with Pharaoh. They are his servants. God is sovereign. He alone is sovereign. And, and Romans 13 said that explicitly, that governing authorities are actually servants of God. 
They're put in place to administer God's justice and to carry out his plans. Romans 13.4 says of the civil authority, For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Again it says, For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So that's a helpful reminder to us. Governing authorities are actually a blessing from God. They are God's ministers to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And so while we grieve many things, and trust me, we do, we grieve many things that our government does, we are blessed to have civil authorities over us. They are God's gift to us to maintain order and to administer justice. And what I love about, about this truth, and as I was, was being reminded of it and, and meditating on it this week, even wicked leaders who don't acknowledge God, or even wicked leaders who explicitly rebel against God, they are still instruments in the hands of our Lord Almighty. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Praise God. Whether it be Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Pilate, or wicked Nero, God sovereignly works through evil leaders to accomplish his good purposes. And we know that God is, is just. He will hold leaders accountable for their wicked actions as well. They're, they're doing what their heart wants to do. And he will not let the guilty go unpunished. Scripture tells us what a comfort it is to know that God is sovereign over every circumstance. That even though wicked leaders can cause Christians to suffer, even that God is sovereign over. And God is lovingly and wisely working all things together for his glory and the ultimate good of his people. Romans 8.28 So Christians are called to submit to governing authorities. And we know the, the, the caveat there is we are to obey our rulers so long as they do not command us to go against God's word. In those cases when a governing authority would uh, command us to go against God's word, we are to follow the example of the apostles when, who, when ordered not to preach, said, we must obey God rather than man, Acts 5.29. So that's our exception. But in all other cases, we are called to submit to our governing leaders. So that's the extent of our submission. Our second heading this morning is reason for submission. What is, he gives us a reason in the, in the text here. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That phrase, for the Lord's sake, that means for, the, for God's glory. Again, like I was saying at the beginning, we bring glory to God by submitting to our governing authorities. We honor God by honoring our human leaders. Submitting to our civil authorities brings glory to God because, again, He is the one who put them in places of authority over us. So even if we feel our leaders are, in and of themselves are not worthy of honor or they're not worthy of being submitted to, we, we do it anyways because we know our God is worthy. Our God is worthy of all obedience. Our God is worthy of all honor. 
And so we do this for the Lord's glory. We do this for the Lord's sake. Verse 15 gives some additional reasons for submitting to governing authorities. Look at verse 15 of our text with me. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Don't you love statements like that, you know, that just kind of get your attention? This is the will of God. Like 1 Thessalonians 4 has that phrase as well, talking about abstaining from sexual immorality. We know any, any command from the Lord is, is his revealed will to us. His sovereign will is secret, we, and, and, and that cannot be thwarted. We don't always know what his sovereign will is, right? But his revealed will is revealed. We know what it is, and we're called to obey it. But verse 15 says explicitly, for this is the will of God. God's revealed will is that we submit to our civil authorities. So again, so when we are obeying our governing leaders, we are obeying God. And bringing glory to God. Of course, the converse then is true as well, isn't it? If we rebel against our human authorities, who are we rebelling against? We're ultimately rebelling against God. Because he is the one who placed them in authority over us. So that's a a helpful reason and reminder to us. But in addition to obeying God, verse 15 gives another reason for submitting to governing authorities. Look again at that verse. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So here's another reason. Being subject to the government provides a faithful witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. Being subject to the government provides a faithful witness that we're different, that we're followers of Christ. As we pay our taxes, obey the laws of the land, honor those in authority, as we encourage righteousness and justice in our land, the Bible says we silence those who would slander Christ and who would slander his people. We saw this taught last week, didn't we, in verse 12, that unbelievers may speak against Christians as as evildoers. And and we talked about how this evil fallen world is naturally hostile to, to Christians who are children of light. But verse 15 says that by us honoring and submitting to the governing authorities, we will silence many of the accusations that unbelievers might bring against us. Some will still hate us because they hate Christ. But the point is our lives should give no grounds for accusations. By God's grace, we should be above reproach. And be well thought of by outsiders, 1 Timothy 3 says. That was the phrase that I kept thinking of in relation to this, above reproach. Right? Accusations may come, but it's that idea of above reproach is like, those accusations have no merit. They're not going to stick. Submitting to our governing leaders is not limited to simply doing them no harm. But notice verse 15 says our responsibility is actually to do them good. (laughs) That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. By the way, that phrase doing good, that's going to come up uh, often now in this next section of Peter that we're in, which is kind of focused on application. He's going to talk about doing good as the responsibility of Christian slaves toward their masters in verse 20, of of Christian wives toward their husbands in chapter 3, verse 6. Doing good. Right? I mean, in, in that, there's a simplicity and, and clarity to that, isn't there? Doing good. That kind of describes our general demeanor 
of how a Christian should be living by God's grace, like we talked about last week, by his enabling. We should be doing good. As, as Christians, we are new creations. We have the Spirit of God inside us, guiding us and empowering us. And so we should be doing good to others. They should see the fruit of the Spirit in us. And they should be seeing increasingly, by God's grace, the life of Christ manifested in us. And what better way for that to be apparent than in how we obey and respect our governing leaders or any authority over us. What a way to be distinct. Humble, law-abiding Christians who seek to live godly lives provide a powerful testimony to the power and worth of Christ. Because think about it. By nature, man is rebellious, right? By nature, we want to complain about authority. We want to complain about our leaders, you know, and, and trespass any kind of law that's put in our place. That's how we all are by nature. You know, stick it to the man, so to speak, right? But a Christian who respects and prays for his leaders, while even though he doesn't agree with everything the government does, and he can can say that, we can say that, but yet still he's still thankful for the government and and still respectful of his leaders. That kind of person, loved ones, is going to stand out. People will notice that person. And that will give an opportunity for the gospel. That will give an opportunity to to talk about the hope that lies within us. And we can say, you know, yeah, I don't agree with everything this leader does. Matter of fact, there's some things I, I vehemently disagree with him about. But I know Christ is king. And in his wisdom, he has put that leader there for a purpose. But my, my ultimate hope is in Christ. And he's building a kingdom that's eternal. Where righteousness will, and justice will reign forever. And I thank God for our leaders. And I pray for them. They have a tough job. Man, that's all, that right there is a gospel testimony. You say that and people are going to, okay. You know, and, and if God's working in their heart, they may ask more. Or they may go away and chew on it for a while and ask more later. Those are opportunities, loved ones. But it's easy for us, isn't it, to just kind of go along with the complaining. To kind of join in with the complaining. To kind of join in with the rhetoric. The rhetoric that's being pumped into us. And this is another reminder, let's guard our hearts. What are we taking into our heart? You know, are, we, are we listening to, to things that are just going to make us angry or anxious and, and things that are complaining all the time about, I know we need to be informed, but let's find a way to do that without it poisoning our hearts. So this is an opportunity for us to be distinct, to display Christ, to speak about Christ. When we think about doing good uh, and we think about honoring, praying for our leaders is a... Is a Important way. Another parallel passage you could look at is 1 Timothy 2. That's when Paul is giving instructions how the church should be conducting itself. And it says, you know, I want prayers to be given for, for kings and all those who are in authority. And I thank God for the way Pastor John modeled that for us today. Praying for our governing leaders. So we've seen the extent of submission. We've seen the reason for submission. Thirdly, then let's consider what I call the attitude of submission. Verse 16. 
Isn't this kind of interesting? He brings in the concept of freedom here. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Think about that. Christ has set us free from a lot of things, hasn't he? <laughs> he set us free from the penalty of sin, praise God. He set us free from the enslaving power of sin. One day when he returns, he'll set us free from the very presence of sin. But what, I, what I'm thinking about in this text, I, I don't know for sure if that's what Peter was talking about, but Christ has set us free from slavery to the fear of man. Right? So we can freely choose to follow and obey our governing authorities. We can voluntarily come under their authority for the Lord's sake. That's a key word if you're taking notes I'm thinking of there. Voluntarily. That's our attitude of submission. We're going to see that in every example here. Right? We are to submit voluntarily. We are, not, we are to submit not begrudgingly, not with gritted teeth, not complaining and, and slandering and say, oh, fine, I'll obey. But, uh. No, we're just to, we can just do it freely. We can just voluntarily submit, willingly, even dare we say cheerfully submit. Why? Because we know that God is sovereign. Our Lord Jesus is the ultimate king. We know that human leaders are put in place by God for a time to serve the Lord's purposes. And we remember that our human leaders are temporary, but Christ's kingdom is eternal. So how freeing is that? The, 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 the weight of eternity does not rest on, on every election, right? And again, we should vote. We should be involved I'm not, and be informed. I'm not saying that, but it's like... Christ is in control. He is at work. This is what he's told me to do. <laughs> and so I'm just going to obey. I'm going to voluntarily submit. And we can do that because we know that we are not under the ultimate authority of those leaders. Again, because God is the ultimate sovereign. We're not enslaved to our human authorities and we don't need to be scared of them. I mean, you think about in church history, the the martyrs, right? How they could, you know, obviously it was God giving them courage. And, but they, even that person there who's pronouncing sentence and about ready to execute them, they knew they weren't the one in charge ultimately. God's in charge. And he's already rescued me from, from his wrath. He's already rescued me from, from eternal separation and death. If you kill me, you're going to just usher me into his presence. <laughs> Jesus said, right, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who is sovereign over body and soul, right, who determines where you spend eternity. And so we're free. We're free to be good citizens. We're free to, to submit. We're free to seek the welfare of others. Another text that is an interesting parallel here is Jeremiah 29.7. What was happening in Jeremiah 29? Well, that was when God was preparing uh, his people to be exiled to Babylon, right? Similar to Peter, right? Listen to what, how God instructed the exiles in Babylon. He says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. 
for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So, again, this gets to our identity and how we live out our identity. We know we are exiles in this world, as we said last week, and, and the Sunday school it came up again today. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, Philippians 3.20. But we, we have a dual citizenship, don't we? We're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of God's eternal kingdom, praise God. But right now, we're, citizens of also, we're also citizens of this country. We're citizens of the land. And so until Christ returns, we're, we're to be the best citizens we can be by his grace in this world. So our heavenly citizenship does not exempt us from the laws of our earthly leaders and government. And so as obedient law-abiding citizens, we are to seek the welfare of the cities in which we live. And you see, like we said, that brings glory to God. Jeremiah 29.7 was pretty practical. It's like, you know, if you make the world a better place, it's going to be good for you too, isn't it? We are to do good to our neighbor and to promote what is good in society. And so, again, in this message, we're kind of thinking about our entire relationship with government, aren't we? And, and another way that we're free, by the way, is as Christians, we are free to get involved in earthly government including serving in official capacities if, if God calls us to that, leads us to that. We're free to do that. We need solid Christians, don't we, serving in our local and state and federal governments. Man, we need solid Christians who are, are policemen and those in authority over us. May, may God raise up more. <laughs> As Christians, we're free to get involved in earthly government. God may lead some Christians to serve in political office, or he may lead them to, to advocate for specific societal concerns. And that's a good thing. Christians can do good by speaking for good policy and, and speaking out against bad policy. And again, I want to be clear when I talk about honoring our leaders, you know, as the Bible says, it doesn't mean we can't disagree with them. It doesn't mean we can't speak out and say, you know, that's wrong. That policy is wrong. That law is wrong. We need to advocate for truth. We're not to make personal attacks against our leaders, but as it pertains to their policy, we can and should speak out against immorality. For example, let us speak up and vote for the sanctity of human life. From the womb to the tomb, we know that every life deserves protection because every person is made in the image of God. And so, you know, if a leader has, a, has laws or policy that go against that, we should say that. Call a spade a spade. Say, that's wrong. And that's why I can't support that candidate. All Christians should do good by staying informed and, and voting in elections. Again, just thinking about what does this mean? Because we always have to watch extremes, right? And as we're talking about being exiles in this world, we, we said this last week, we're to be living among the unbelievers, right? Because it, I know a temptation for me, I, I confess, right, is with, with government, you know, you just get so tired of it, and you're just like, I don't even care anymore, right? You know, and just, and then you go too much the other way and say, you know, I'm not going to be informed, I'm not going to vote, I'm not going to, you know, I don't care. That's wrong, right? No, let us um, be 
good testimonies. Let us seek the welfare of our city. We're not to just go off on a hill somewhere and wait for Jesus. No, he has us here for this time, for this place, under these leaders. (laughs) And so may God help us to live out uh, godly lives, do good to our neighbor, all the while seeking by, by God's enabling to display Christ and to talk about Christ to them. By the way, again, that's one extreme would be isolationism and, and just saying, you know, forget it, this world is, is without hope. And the other extreme, of course, are those who, who, like I said earlier, put all their hope in government and think, yeah, you know, we're going to bring heaven on earth here and we're going to bring in Christ's kingdom. And I, I think that's misguided. We will not find paradise in this fallen world. Our ultimate hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he has defeated sin, death, and Satan. And one day we know, praise God, he will return. And when he returns, he will right every wrong. Christ will establish a government that is righteous, just, and peaceful. (laughs) Right? I mean, he's king already. But one day his kingdom will cover the whole earth. And there will be no rivals Until the day of his return, then, we are to live godly lives, displaying and proclaiming Christ to those around us. And to the degree that God calls each one of us, we are to do good and seek justice for those around us. So, again, just by way of application, if God lays on your heart to, to do good, you know, to whatever that looks like, to help fight for the unborn or to minister to orphans or, or the abused or to fight human trafficking, I encourage you. to to do that and to find a gospel-based ministry to partner with, right? Those are are good things to be doing, and they need to be done in the context of bringing the gospel to people. And so we'd love to, you know, help connect you with those. And obviously some of the ministries we already partner with are doing some of those things, but there are many more out there. Our greatest need, of course, is forgiveness of sins, right? And, and again, some young people, uh, especially, are, everyone has inherent in them to make a difference in this world. And what I see is I look out at young people, uh, unbelieving young people, you know, they want to make a difference in this world, and that's good. And so they charge off and try to do that in whatever human way they can. But, of course, our greatest need is forgiveness of sins. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world? What does it profit a man if he, he does lots of good yet loses his own soul? And that's why Jesus came. To live and die in our place. To take this, our, the sins of his people upon himself. And to pay fully for those sins. And then ro- he rose in victory over sin and death. So that all who believe in him are rescued from God's wrath and are given eternal life. So that's your greatest need today if you've not come to Christ. May God draw you to himself, even this morning. We have one more heading to to, um, work through, and that's the last verse, verse 17. I called it the outworking of submission. 
We've considered the extent, the attitude, and the reason for submission. But verse 17, in, as, as Peter kind of wraps this up, he describes the outworking of submission. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Peter concludes his teaching regarding governing authorities with four commands. <laughs> right? It's kind of rapid fire here. The first one is honor everyone. To honor someone is to treat them with dignity and worth. A good reminder for us that every person, whether a believer or unbeliever, has value because they are made in the image of God. And so again, we're thinking through this lens especially of of government and, and politics and all that. And that got me thinking much of the social discourse that takes place nowadays over politics, especially online, is not kind. It's hateful. And may, may Christians never take part in that, right? We can disagree with someone, but we should still treat them with dignity because they are a person created by God. So that's not only our leaders, but it's also the people who would support the people of the leaders that we disagree with, right? Let us honor everyone. Show Christ to them. Second, then, Peter hones in, love the brotherhood. Over and above honoring our fellow man, we are to love the brotherhood. There's a special bond between believers. Again, we may disagree with a brother in Christ politically or even in some areas of doctrine. But as Christians, we are all in the family of God, so let us love our fellow Christians the way Christ has loved us. And again, for the, for the glory of his name, because we know it dishonors his name when Christians are... are um, unloving toward each other by the way peter's going to flesh that out more for us in chapter four of what brotherly love should look like so we'll we'll come to that lord willing the third command here in verse 17 fear god we just come we just uh completed a whole sunday school class on that didn't we what it means to fear god and 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 that there's a lot to that as we learned it entails obedience and awe and delight in who god is and what he has done for us in christ So like I said earlier, as we obey and honor our human authorities, we're not in awe of them, right? (laughs) Rather, our constant awe, our constant delight, our constant hope is in our triune God. Finally, Peter comes full circle and summarizes his teaching on government with the simple command, honor the emperor. And again, when you think about who that was, what an amazing statement. Honor the emperor. Peter tells his readers to honor the one who stood at the head of a government increasingly opposed to the church. And so what a good reminder for us. Let us honor our leaders for the glory of God. So I hope you come away from this message, again, reminded on these commands and exhortations, but also just so encouraged and thankful that Jesus is Lord and that his kingdom is eternal. And that he is sovereignly working out his purposes for our good and his glory. And so may God help us and enable us to do good, to honor our leaders, to submit to them, and to bring the gospel to everyone around us. Let's pray. Lord, we continue to praise you as we begin our service this morning. You are unique. There is no one like you. 
And we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. That you have been exalted far above all rule and power and authority, both in this age and in the age to come. And so we are so thankful that you are king and that you are good and that you are sovereign and wise. And so we thank you for um, giving us civil leaders to help maintain order. Lord, we, um, as we've already done this morning, we pray for them. We pray your protection on them. We, we pray, Lord, that um, you would, the ones that don't know you, that you would uh, save them, Lord, that you would get a hold of their hearts and cause them to fear you. We pray, Lord, for um, good laws to be passed in our, in our land. And we pray that you will help us to, to um, live out being exiles in, in this world, to be the salt and light that we already are, but to, to do good, to submit willingly and cheerfully. And as we do, may you be glorified. May you give us opportunities to point people to our, our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. amen. Let's stand together and continue to praise through song.